Well, good morning, church. Thank you for being here today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up or turn it on, whatever you do, to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. While you're looking for that and finding that, let me say happy anniversary to Peggy and uh, Raymond Bagwell, over here to my left, these flowers are in their honor, their 50th wedding anniversary. <laughs> when you look at Peggy, it's pretty evident that Raymond must have married her when she was about eight. <laughs> she was on the pastor search committee almost 19 years ago that brought me here, and I'm telling you what, she has an age today. Not a day. So uh, living with Raymond suits you well, apparently. Congratulations to you folks. Uh, come on now. <laughs> you got to share it with all of us. No, I'm kidding. Today in this last message in a series called Desperate, the series is based on the stories of three desperate people Found in Mark chapter 5. You know the Bible is so much more than a collection of stories that's passed down through time. It's really our story. It's a blueprint for our lives. And I know some of you were not here for the entire series, so let me rehearse it real quickly where we've been thus far since this is the last message. In the first week, we talked about no one to help. It's the story of the demon-possessed man who lived in the tombs of the region of Gerasenes. He was the most desperate person you could imagine. He had no hope of anything improving in his life. We learned in that message that when you have no one to help you, there is someone to help you, and his name is Jesus. Then in the second week, we looked at the story of a desperate dad. His little 12-year-old daughter was dying, and he went to Jesus for help. And we learned in that message that desperate faith means laying aside your pride. And desperate faith means waiting for God to work. And desperate faith means trusting God even when the future look, looks bleak. We learned in that message that sometimes when it looks like God isn't doing anything at all, the work he may be focusing on is you. Then in the third week, we took a detour from Mark chapter 5, and we looked at Ezekiel 37 and talked about a desperate nation. A desperate nation depicted in the Valley of Dry Bones. That was 4th of July weekend, and we were asking, can these dry bones of America live again? And we said in that message that our nation needs God now more than ever. And that our nation needs the church to be the church now more than ever. And that our nation needs the gospel now more than ever. The lesson in that message was this, the only hope for America is a great awakening in our land. But let me say one other thing about that. I'm not going to re-preach that message, but let me say one other thing. If our nation ever turns back to God, it will be because God's people did first. Today in this last message, I want to go back to Mark chapter 5 and look at a woman who was desperate for Jesus. Our text is verses 25 through 34, if you're taking notes. But this really is a story within a story 
And so we're going to pick it up in verse 22. Verse 22 is the story of Jairus that we looked at previously. But because this is a story within a story, we're going to read a little bit of that one to get the context. Verse 22. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus went with Jairus. But now notice the commentary that Mark offers in the second part of verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now I want you to remember that little reference. I want you to remember that that little sentence. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Remember that and we'll come back to it. Then in verse 25, Mark tells us about someone who was in that crowd. Verse 25, and a woman was there, was there in the crowd, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. It's interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all make a point to introduce to us this nameless woman who has been bleeding for 12 long years. Day in and day out, not only bearing the physical trauma of her condition, but shouldering the emotional scorn and shame that accompanied it. For 12 long years, blood had flowed from her body, making her physically sick and socially unacceptable. Now, the reason I say socially unacceptable is because, according to the Mosaic Law, she was to be considered unclean. You can read about it in Leviticus 15, but but it basically meant this. In her day, because she was considered unclean, she was pretty much removed from society, at least pushed to the edges of society, and was unable to go to the temple for 12 years. You know, most of our health issues don't last that long, do they? Most of our health issues we deal with are relatively short. A cold will will last for a few days. If you have the flu, it might last for 7 to 10 days. If you have an injury, it might be months of rehabilitation and rehab And for some of you, you've dealt with heart issues that are long-standing, or you deal with cancer, and it's a grinding marathon for years. Perhaps you, better than anybody else, could relate to this lady. And it's possible, as I've studied this, it's possible that this lady had some sort of cancer. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not going to try to guess, but it's possible that, that for 12 years she battled this cancerous disease that not only caused her physical suffering, but also caused her to be cut off from the world. So for 12 years, she could not go to worship. For 12 years, she could not be married. She could not have children. She could not socialize with her friends. And during that 12-year period, she tried everything she could try to get well. But nothing worked. It's right there in verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Some of you know that feeling, don't you? You know that feeling of going to the doctor again and again and again, hoping that maybe this time it'll be better, hoping that maybe this time he's got a medicine or she's got a medicine that will work, hoping that maybe this time something will will be different. That's what this lady went through. For 12 years, she tried one doctor after another, one kind of remedy after another. And by the way, if you look, read the Jewish Talmud, you can, you can read some incredible things that she probably had to do 
in these remedies that, that I don't have the time to get into. It's like, wow, if she went through that, she was some kind of lady trying to deal with all of that. And yet, all that she did was in vain. She simply had a condition that no one could cure. Adding to her misery was the fact that she also spent everything that she had. Look again at verse 26. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She spent everything that she had looking for help, but instead of getting better, she grew worse. Have you ever had a problem that got worse? Problem you're trying to solve, problem you're trying to deal with, and, and it just got worse. Have you ever had a long-standing problem that seemed to defy solution? A long-standing problem, maybe a physical problem that, that just seemed to drain you physically and emotionally and perhaps financially. There was a day, though, listen to this. Are you ready for some good news in this story? There was a day, there was a day when this woman's 12-year struggle came to an end. It's in verse 27. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Now, now, before we dig too far into that, I want you to notice these first few words. When she heard about Jesus, she did not know about Jesus, but thankfully somebody told her about him. She did not know where he was, but apparently somebody told her where he was. She did not know what he could do, but apparently somebody told her what he could do. And whatever they told her convinced her to go give him a try. You know, over the last few weeks, we've met some people in Mark chapter 5 that on the surface were in hopeless situations. The odds seemed to be stacked against them of things ever improving in their lives. The odds seem to be stacked against them of things ever changing in their life. And if there was ever anybody who came to Jesus as a last resort, it was this lady. She'd come to everybody. Everybody she knew, everybody she could think of, everybody she could afford, even though she couldn't afford, she'd gone to everybody looking for help, looking for a solution, looking for healing. And she comes to Jesus as her last resort. No man could change her condition. No doctor could help with her suffering. And it says in Luke 8, 43, look on the screen, no one could heal her. No one. But when she heard about Jesus, Mark says. She went to him in desperation. Having tried every cure that the world had to offer, she finally tried him. We pick up the story, verse 27 again. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because, here's the reason, because, verse 28, she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And I marvel at this lady's faith. I marvel at the faith that she had in the face of 12 years of letdown. 12 years of disappointment. 12 years of going and trying different things and none of it working. I marvel that she has this kind of faith. Look at the text. If I just touch his clothes, it doesn't say I might be healed. I hope to be healed. I may be healed. But with tremendous, desperate faith, she said, if I touch his clothes, I will be 
healed. I love that faith. And then it says in verse 29, immediately. Would you say that word with me? Immediately. Say it again. Immediately. Anybody here need God to do something immediately? Wouldn't that be nice? Anybody here got a situation that's like, I could use an immediately in my life. I've got something in my marriage, I could use it immediately. I've got something physically, I could use and immediately. I've got something in my finances, we could sure use and immediately. And here's what happened. Verse 29, immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Whilst I, The text doesn't tell us, but my guess is she stood there in total amazement. I'm just guessing. But as she came up quietly, didn't want to get any attention to her because everybody would see her and and say, unclean, unclean. So quietly she's sneaking up behind. She's trying to just touch the edge of his garment, the, the tassel on the end of his cloak. And once she touched it with this desperate faith, the Bible says immediately... She was healed, and she could feel it. And in my imagination, as the crowd and Jesus start to continue to walk, she stops, and just in total amazement, because for 12 years, she's had this problem, and now she feels different. Now she feels freed from her suffering. And while she stood there, perhaps, trying to process what had just happened, Jesus stopped and he asked a question, verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, read it with me if you have the NIV, who touched my clothes? Now, remember, she tried to sneak up. She tried to come up from behind because I'm convinced now that as she had this disease that made her unclean, I'm convinced that she didn't want to go to Jesus in the middle of the crowd. She didn't want to stand in front of everybody and declare her need. She didn't want to be turned away. She didn't want to risk that embarrassment. So she came up from behind and she had the idea, if if I could just touch that tassel, I, I could be healed. So she was trying her best to be unseen. She tried. In today's vernacular though, we would say she's busted. Because when she was healed, Jesus stopped and said, wait a minute, who touched me? What she thought she could do in secret suddenly became known. Now, I know what that feels like. Back, I think it was in March, sometime like that, I went to Cleveland, Ohio on a mission trip with a church plant up there, a church that we're planting, Gateway Church with Tony Losetto. And we took a whole team of people, and those of you who went with me on that trip, you're going to say, well, preacher, you didn't tell that story. You've never told us that story. It's because I was so embarrassed by it. I, I just told Lisa about a week ago. But I promise you this happened. We went to Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We had a few hours extra and in Cleveland, Ohio. There's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we went there. And it's a pretty cool place, and you get to see all kinds of things, and but, but everything that you see is behind glass, you know. There's, there's the drum set that, the, that the Beatles used. Who was the drummer for the Beatles? Can you, did, yeah, Ringo Starr. So, so I stood there 
Did you know that the first crowd knew the answer to that? Surprise me. So, so I stood there and it just in amazement. I thought, man, that's the drum set that the Beatles used, that the Ringo Starr used. And, and then you could see the guitar that Elvis played, and, and, and you could see the, the motorcycle that Elvis rode, and, and, and just all kinds of you know, famous uh, original song lyrics that John Lennon wrote, and just all kinds of stuff like that. But everything was behind glass. Uh, the, the, the glove that Michael Jackson wore, remember that sequin glove? Saw that. It was behind glass, of course. And I... I get kind of goofy in those kind of places. That's why I wanted to go off by myself. Because when I see that stuff, it just fascinates me. It's like, Elvis Presley wore that. You know, John Lennon wrote that. Uh, Ringo Starr played those, those actual drums. He, he played those. And, and I just get kind of goofy. So I was off by myself, and I was looking at everything that was behind glass. And then I noticed beside this sequin glove that was behind glass, beside the sequin glove, there was a black jacket on display, that wasn't behind glass. Hmm. And I, th- I thought, well, that's interesting. And I looked, and, and it was Bruce Springsteen, the boss, you know? <laughs> I looked around. I didn't see anybody. I thought, I want to touch Bruce Springsteen's jacket. I don't know why, (laughs) but I I just wanted to. And again, I I really didn't, there were some people on up the the aisle from me, but but they weren't looking in my direction. I I waited until they turned, you know, and, and I thought, I don't see any, what would be the harm? And so I went like that, and I touched Bruce Springsteen's jacket. And I promise you, the moment I touched it, sirens went off and lights started flashing. <laughs> woo, 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 woo! And there was an, uh, an intercom, uh, a voice over the intercom came on and said, Step away from the display. Step away from the display. <laughs> I promise you that happened. I am not exaggerating this at all. All of a sudden, this guy comes in from nowhere, and he comes in, and he's mad. And he says, sir, sir, step away from the display. I notice he's not talking to me. He's talking to the guy up from me. He thought it was that guy. <laughs> so I just kind of walked on. <laughs> so my first thought, promise you, my very first thought, when the red and blue lights started flashing and the sirens started going and and I heard the voice step away from the display, I promise you, my very first thought was this, I'm going to get arrested at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on a mission trip. (laughs) Southern Baptist pastor arrested at Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was busted. This lady knew that feeling too. Because she was probably trying as best, if I can just, if I can just touch this garment. And when she did, the lights started flashing, the, 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 
the sirens started going off because Jesus stopped and he turned around and he said, wait a minute, who touched me? It wasn't bad enough that he just said, who touched me? He stopped and he started looking for her. Just read the text, it's right there in the text. He kept looking around, kept saying, who touched me? Looking, 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 looking. But he wasn't looking to accuse her. He was looking in order to affirm her. Look, it's a beautiful story how it unfolds. Look at verse 31. You see the people cried on against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking, notice that. He kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, don't miss this. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I want you to notice this first word. Look here on the screen. Look what he called her. He called her daughter. This is the only place in the Bible, the only place in the Gospels where Jesus' words are recorded. It's the only place in the Bible where Jesus ever called a woman a daughter. No other place in the Bible did he ever call a woman a daughter. It was a term of endearment. It was a term of affection. It was a term of respect. Think about it. This lady who had been excluded from society for 12 years, and more important than that, this lady who had been excluded from the temple for 12 years was now a member of God's family. Daughter. You're not just a woman with an issue of blood now. Now, your daughter. The outcast who could not be welcomed in the house of God was sought out by Jesus and called daughter by the Son of God. You see, he did not look for her to accuse her. He looked at her to affirm her. And look what he says in verse 34. Look at this. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith in me has healed you. She was no longer excommunicated from the temple. She was no longer ostracized from her family. She was no longer considered unclean by society. She was no longer in bondage to her pain and her suffering. Her faith in Jesus had healed her. And that word healed actually can be translated saved. It's referring to both physical healing as well as spiritual salvation. Look again at the text, verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There's the spiritual salvation. You can now go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There's the physical healing. Daughter, your faith has done what no doctor could ever do. Daughter, your faith in me has done what no person could ever accomplish for you. Now, the question I have is this. Where does this, it's a beautiful story, but where does this story intersect with our lives? 
Is it suggesting that if you have enough faith, God will heal you or your loved one? I've wrestled with this story for weeks. I've studied this story for weeks because I wanted to know, is it saying if you have enough faith, God will heal you or heal your loved one? And if that were to be the case, how do we touch the hem of his garment? And then I had this question, and what about those loved ones that you have who had great faith, but they weren't healed? What about those friends that you have who have great faith, but they're still struggling with an illness? Then I came across a story by Tony Campolo that helped me. Maybe it'll help you. Tony Campolo tells the story of being in a church in Oregon, and he was asked to pray for a man who had cancer. Campolo prayed boldly in the church for the man's healing. The next week, he got a call from that man's wife. And she said, you prayed for my husband, and he had cancer. Notice the past tense. He had cancer. When Tony heard that past tense, he had cancer, uh, he was assuming that <clears throat> the cancer had been eradicated. She said he had cancer, but he died. Campolo felt terrible, but before he could say anything, this is what she said, and I want to read you her words. She said, Tony, don't feel bad. When he came into that church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old, and he wanted to see his children and his grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. And the more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. The lady told Tony, she said, but after you prayed, after you prayed for him, a peace come over, had come over him and a joy came into him. She said, listen to this, and I quote, Tony, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung and we've laughed and we've read scripture and we've prayed. Oh, they have been wonderful days. And I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. And then she said something incredibly profound. She said, he wasn't, cu- he wasn't cured, but he was healed. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. I wish that I could promise you physical healing like this lady experienced. I wish that I could promise you that if you just have enough faith, your immediately will occur. But I'm not sure that's the purpose of this story. As I told you, I have studied it and studied it. I have looked over it. I have prayed on it. And and I believe that really the story is a comparison. It's a comparison between the one woman who was desperate and the crowd who was not. It's the story of one woman who God did something incredible in her life and the crowd who experienced nothing. It's a comparison. You see, there were many people in the crowd that day who were following Jesus. We don't know how many. 
my guess is at least hundreds. Let's just use that number. Hundreds, perhaps, following Jesus in this crowd. But only one person was saved of her affliction. Now, let me look at the text with you. I want you to follow closely. Look again how this is emphasized. The many and the one is emphasized throughout the text. Verse 24. A large crowd followed him, or large crowd followed, and notice this phrase, and pressed around him. This large crowd was following Jesus, and they were pushing and shoving and trying to get near him, trying to touch him. A large crowd was pressing against him. Look at verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. So this crowd is all around him. She becomes part of the crowd. She's in the crowd trying to touch his garment. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd. There's this crowd of people around Jesus. He is in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And his disciples, and in fact Luke says in his gospel that it was Peter who stood up or spoke up. And Peter said, who touched you? Shortest translation, are you crazy? There's a crowd of people around you. They're pushing and shoving and grabbing. You want to know who touched you? Here's here's my point. There was a large group of people who crowded around Jesus touching him, and yet that large crowd experienced nothing. They came to Jesus perhaps out of curiosity, but watch this. She came to Jesus out of desperation. And I think that is the main lesson of the story. You see, look on the screen. Not everyone in the crowd has a life-changing experience. Not everyone in the crowd touches Jesus the same way. That's true here today even, isn't it? crowd of people here. Most of the crowd will probably go home and nothing will be different. Most of the crowd will go home and nothing will change. But there might be a desperate woman here or a desperate man here. And you might go home and your life is radically changed. Because you were desperate for Jesus. You see, when your hopeless situation appears to defy a solution, put your hope in Christ alone. He said to her, woman, your faith, translation, in me, your faith has healed you. Listen, woman, it wasn't the fact that you touched my clothes. There's nothing magical about my clothes. Your faith in me healed you. In Christ alone. Friday when I was topping up my notes and I came to that phrase, in Christ alone. I was listening to the radio as I was typing and I typed in, in Christ alone. And I promise you, it came on the radio. Just as I was typing those words, it came on the radio. I thought somebody needs to hear those lyrics, so we're going to make sure that we that I sing that to you. No, that part I'm kidding about. But here's, listen what it says. In Christ alone, my hope is found. 
He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm from the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, he here in the love of Christ I stand. Skip on down to the last verse. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. You see, when your hopeless situation appears to defy a solution, put your hope in Christ alone. You may have looked for help in many places and with many people. Just like this lady did. You need to do what she did. You need to act on what you've heard about Jesus. And though you're in a crowd today, I can promise you this. He will focus just on you. He can save your soul and He can give you peace in life. He can do what no one else can do. You see, when it all comes down to it, listen... When it comes right down to it, we are all desperate for Jesus. We all have a problem for which there is no human solution. We all have a problem for which no man can help us. There's nothing in this universe you need more desperately than Jesus. In Christ alone. Woman, your faith has healed you. There's a crowd of people around. They, uh, most of them didn't go home different. But the one lady who came to Jesus, desperate, did. Would you pray with me about that? Let's bow our heads together. I want to ask you today if you'd be willing to be honest. If you'd be willing to admit your desperate need of Jesus. I cannot promise you that he will heal you physically. Though he may, should he choose to do that. But I can promise you this. Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, is ultimately what we all need. And in a crowd of people that will largely leave the way they came, there might be one or two or three who will be desperate enough to say, I've tried everything else and everybody else. I'm going to try Jesus. I'm going to try this one I've heard about. I'm going to put my faith in Him. Would you do that today? Would you be willing to put your faith in Him? We're going to be at the front to counsel you, or if you just want to come straight to the altar to pray, you feel free to do that. 
Father, I thank you that we can put our faith today in Christ alone. And even when we come to you as a last resort, even when we come to you out of desperation, you graciously, lovingly receive us when our faith is genuine. I pray there will be a daughter or a son that is brought into the family as they place their faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.